Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers and Alex Dace from Mtombo Wealth. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Rowan, Alex, good to see you both there this evening. Um, Alex, if I may start with you, it wasn't a bad day for the JSE, and it was quite surprising to me at least to see NASPAS and Process do okay, notwithstanding... Um, the the wobble on Chinese markets this morning in response to the protests that are that are now um, uh, I suppose being made um, in, in defiance of the, the terrible COVID lockdowns that the uh, Chinese people have had to endure, um, and I wonder if I can, I mean, your sense? Do you think it's going to derail markets going to the year end? Because there was some expectation that the COVID, that uh, the reopening post COVID in China was going to be extremely bullish for equity markets. Um, and uh, I mean, uh, uh, firstly, do you think that thesis was correct? Secondly, do you think that thesis is now off the cards? Uh, good evening. Yeah, I mean, certainly it looks since end of September, uh, markets have had quite a bit of, bit of a strong re so-called relief rally, um, mostly pricing in. I can imagine that there's going to be reopening of China and perhaps inflation is not going to be bad as expected, et cetera, et cetera. So any of, well, as soon as any of, any of those variables changes, Obviously, sentiment will change again, and you'll see market, change in market prices. So, um, you know, I was never really a believer that the, the Chinese market is going to reopen as quickly as people want. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is, you do have an authoritarian state there that you know do things their own way. Uh, they're not going to allow the people to tell them what to do, or certainly what Westerners were expecting to do, and so forth. So, um, um, I think it's it's unfortunate what is happening there, but um, and I think things can even come even tougher before it gets better there. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is the Chinese economy does need some growth and you're seeing all sorts of stimulus trying to be pushed in. It's all the relief packages they've, they've given to the property sector now and so forth. So um, there are certainly worries there, but at the same time, it still wants to um, rule the country with an iron fist. Mm. And history will tell us that that's usually not at the, at the benefit of the populace. Yeah. I mean, Rowan, the, the question that's come through is, um, Chinese authorities normally react severely to any kind of civil protest or unrest, which I think, I don't know if they've yet done, but things, uh, the signs of the protest were already scrubbed uh, a few hours afterwards. Um, what are the chances that they'll listen this time and relax their strict COVID res uh, restrictions, which in theory should boost their stock markets? Is that an yeah, unanswerable question? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you're trying to understand what are the reasons for these uh, draconian lockdowns when the rest of the, the world has essentially moved on. I guess part of it is, uh, it is an authoritarian state and they, they don't want to backtrack on a policy that they've had. But an interesting piece of analysis I saw from one of the local brokers is that um, China has very few hospital beds, um, only around 7 million for a population of 1.4 billion and even less critical care beds. So... If they relax the lockdowns and there's a significant uh, increase in infection rates as a result, um, they will see, uh, yeah, a, a, a hospital type crisis, which will also reflect badly on the communist uh, party and the state. And that's one of the reasons they're perpetuating the lockdown. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to be sort of a standoff between the population and uh, the government. I think eventually, I think, but they will probably manage it in terms of staged 
sort of uh, relaxation in an attempt, I think, to to manage the peak of the pandemic, which was part of the, the objectives of lockdown. So this could go on for a while yet, I guess, is the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, so, so then, I mean, you know, aside from the, the terrible human toll, and I mean, you know, being locked in your house for 100 days on end, it's, it's actually just, I mean, it must be unbearable. But um, do we place too much... Uh, emphasis on China's reopening as far as the stock market is concerned? Yeah, that's, I think, a fair point because, um, yeah, obviously, if you look at the, the South African, the Aussie, it is quite reliant on China. We've obviously got the direct sort of exposure via an person process. Uh, Richmond is quite reliant on China, and then all the resource counters also quite reliant on marginal demand from China. So I think it is important for our market um, I think there have been other factors driving our market recently where, where it's sort of been bullish. I think the um, the positive sentiment towards nice person process, independent of Tencent, has been quite supportive as well of markets given the buyback and sort of the change in capital allocation. So there's quite a bit at play, um, but it, but China matters to, to the JC, certainly. Yeah, okay. Um, on to some positive news, and that was City Lodge, which came out with a really... A really nice uh, trading update today. It was a voluntary trading update and they talked about occupancy levels. And there's a couple of questions. Um, the first was City Lodge Hotel, which is one of mine and your regular guests' uh, favorite stock picks, had a massive day today, having climbed 40 cents at the time of sending this. Could I get the panel's thoughts on the reasons for these movements and overall thoughts on CLH's prospects? The other question was whether or not that you, you would buy um, City Lodge at this point. Alex, what did you think of that trading update? And um, uh, would you uh, do you think this is the start of of uh, a positive move up? Also, oh, unlike China, I mean, South Africa has moved on uh, from COVID, so obviously people <laughs> are moving freely again, and you know, tourists are coming back to South Africa. We expect very strong December numbers, for example, in Western Cape. So you're starting to see occupancies recover and getting back to levels that we were before COVID, and I think that's that's a clear positive. Now, these com companies, and I'm referring to, not only City Lord. You know, Soho and uh, Southern Samrata and uh, Soho Gaming, they've all really cut their cost base very, very lean. So now with revenues approaching quite pre-COVID levels, even though it's still beyond in real terms, margins are going to be much higher and you're going to start really seeing benefits coming through of that. Um, so I think that sector, you've seen the share price recovery quite quite strong across the board. Hmm. Um, but with this type of update, you know, there's most likely even more, a lot more runway ahead of themselves. So it's looking positive. They've also probably underspent on CapEx in the last few years, but um, that will be, a, I guess, become a problem a bit later on. But for the yeah. time being, you see very strong cash earnings and um, as well as accounting earnings, and this is going to drive the share prices higher. Yeah. I mean, there was a real moment clearly of doubt about City Lodge um, in October. You can see, you know, it, it had a decent start of the year and then it kind of steadily dwindled south and then kind of hit its nadir, as you can see from that chart there. Um, Rowan... Five rand, 11 cents. I mean, in the context of a one-year chart, you know, it looks like it's heading back towards its highs, but of course, it's nowhere close to where it was kind of pre-COVID. Is this a stock that you would, is this a company that you would back now? Uh, I think it traditionally was a very well-run business, very lean, uh, and yeah, had a good market niche, and they sort of took uh, the market position and, and they leveraged it well. And passing, I think, is um, sort of, we're seeing uh, in reporting that demand uh, is above um, COVID um, highs or pre-COVID highs, I'll say, 29 highs. 
occupancy in, in I think, October is good at 60%. So uh, the sort of sequential improvement is good. And uh, as, as Alex says, they, they generally have um, businesses and they sort of just have taken the opportunity to be leaner um, and more confident. And so I think with probably a, a good uh, fest season coming up, I think a lot of people are going to be a break and travel. Um, that occupancies could be good and the profit will, will come through. So it, I think it can continue to grow. And um, there's decaying as well as the profits flow through to the balance sheet. And uh, you could see, yeah, these businesses uh, come back out strongly even and from, from these. Things. Yeah. Um, Rowan, sorry, there's a, like a little bit of a, a break up on the, uh, the connection with you. So, um, oh, it's probably load shedding. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, I'm sure that'll get sorted out. But, I mean, if you had to uh, take your pick between, you know, Alex, you mentioned you've got you've got a few options. You've got Sun International, you've got Southern Sun, you've got Soho Gaming, you've got City Lodge. Are there any, um, and especially based on, on the basis of the, the trading update today, that, that you would favor over the, over the other? Yeah, so our preference has been for Southern Sun as well as International. Um, City Lodge, mostly the reason for that is, I mean, and the Rowan did allude to the historically, there used to be very good management in there, but, you know, over the last decade or so, there have been a lot of mess, mess steps there, and of course, there had big rights issues, the BEDL executive all went south. So, yes, there are new management in there, and there's a new era, I guess, but it, it's not the same quality that when it was before. I think mm. the likes of Southern Sun have got very experienced operators there, Businesses is lean and mean. I think they're still very well positioned. And I think Southern National also impressed me with their recovery thus far. They've also got their balance sheet under control. Yeah. Um, also seeing likes of Sun City, you know, doing relatively well, even though that asset is pretty much a legacy asset. It doesn't add any value. You're starting to see some benefits coming out of that. And in general, they've, they've also got the casino part with the, um, with the hotels. Mm. It gives you a bit of a double whammy there. And I think they've been quite well. And, uh, um, I think those stocks, even though they've rallied quite hard from their from their lows, and they're probably pretty much back to pre-covered levels, I still think they're relatively well positioned because the balance sheets are much stronger. And I think uh, the fear of that they might need rights issues or that they're going to have problems going forward has been has been abated. Yes, Rowan, just maybe last question here. Um, you know, Tsukosan split itself into gaming and, and hotel assets, where Sun International is still the whole package. Do you think that was the savvy, I mean, would you go for gaming over hotels? Is there a particular rationale for you to have one of the other, or would you rather buy Sun International where you're kind of covered on both bases? Yes, I think um, it, is, it is worth considering uh, the gaming the, probably be a little bit more strictly considered. Uh, Rowan, we seem to have uh, sorted out our connection to you, and we were talking about City Lodge and 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 generally the hotel and uh, gaming uh, sector on the JSE. And I asked about um, the rationale in in sort of splitting itself apart. So you know, you can either buy the pure gaming assets or you can buy the hotel business. Where Sun International, of course, is still a consolidated operation. For you, uh, which would you choose? And I mean, do you think that was a wise step to separate into the two? 
Yeah, I, th I think what you've got is uh, a different uh, risk profile of the two businesses. Also, the hotel business lends itself. Obviously, there's the property element to it and then uh, the operating, the hotel operations. So they'd also split that out separately uh, previously. So I think you've got slightly different costs of capital um, and different uh, uh target markets in terms of the, the gambling side would be more focused on the consumer, whereas uh, the hotel side, you've got the um, the leisure business and the um, the, 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 the more uh, business side uh, to, 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 to the occupancy. So I think you'll have a more stable business there. So they probably felt they could attract the appropriate uh, investor and probably get the cost of capital. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> at a crucial moment. I mean, Alex, um, okay, so a good rationale to splitting those two. Um, I, I suppose we can't for, uh, forestall what uh, Rowan was about to say there, but um, you said that Sun International would be your preferred entry. Is it because you kind of smooth out both sides uh, of, of the, the, the various markets that, that the two companies are targeting? I mean, I'll be like both Southern Sun Hotels and Sun International um, over City Lodge, for example. But look, it also depends on, I mean, I think Ronan really alluded to there. I mean, the mix makes it more diversified as a result, lower cost of capital, etc. But um, there's also opportunities to buy. It depends on, on fundamentals and price you pay. So um, there will be times that you're going to favor the hotels over having any form of gaming exposure. And there will be times that you think the gaming exposure will be more beneficial, um, complement to the... So it's not always a foregone conclusion to buy one over the other. Mm. You know, you do take into consideration what your views are and you know, where you are in the cycle. Okay. Where do you think we are in the cycle? Well, I mean, obviously, we are kind of quite a weak global environment at the moment. And ESA also on a lot of pressures, you know, so consumer spending is come, coming under pressure. So you would think that the gaming side of things will probably feel a little bit of a pinch. So I think PO tells where it's more tied to leisure or business or foreigners. It's probably a safer bet at this particular moment. But we've also just coming from COVID and people's mindsets might have changed and so they might still be spending more at the, at the slots and so forth. Yeah. But in general, you would imagine that the consumer would be more under pressure. Okay. Ron, um, I'll go back to you and maybe let's, maybe it's the question that's that's messing up the, the internet connection. <laughs> I'm going to move on. Uh, there's a question on Barlow World um, and Zida. Uh, and it's, is Barlow World good for a medium-term buy? And will Zida on its own be a worth, uh, worthwhile to hold in a portfolio? course a split being announced uh, well this time last week and then a little bit more information on it today yeah so i think what you can see is the market's also thinking quite hard about this uh, particular question because uh, it's imminent the split and with the pre-listing uh, statement for zida came out today um so you got a lot more detail on the business so uh the um the business uh, the car rental and uh, leasing business is considered to be quite cyclical. It requires quite a lot of gearing because it's got a significant uh, asset base in the form of the, the vehicle fleet. Um, so, uh, and the, the earnings have recovered very well. Uh, just continuing this COVID recovery theme, the car rental business, the demand has been good. You've seen um, reduction in supply um, as certain businesses, yeah, car rental businesses actually stopped operating. So there's a better demand supply balance. So it actually, Business is doing quite well. The concern is, are they at the peak of the cycle, very good margins, and uh, can they continue the profitability? So the rating is probably not going to be that high. 
uh, for Zeta, and you see Motus and CMH as uh, are probably your two best comparables uh, for that business. So sub 10 PE there. Mm. Um, and then the Barla World business has been doing very well. Um, the, part of the issue is uh, they um, have exposure to Russia and uh, they've now sort of recognize that yeah uh, sort of as a potentially discontinued operation but the the cash flows are probably going to uh, drop significantly out of that business and it was a very profitable part of their business and they alluded to a slowdown in demand and some cost pressures so it's quite a tricky balance mm. um, to look at it but on a, some of the parts now um, before the um, unbundling it looks reasonable uh, because you're also going to get a special dividend out of Barlow World but I think you're certainly going to see a lot of action and quite a lot of share price volatility on the day of the unbundling as this price discovery of the two two parts, those two consequent parts. I mean, I suppose, Alex, uh, one of uh, the uh, the factors that could also give in potential investors, or if you're a Barlow World shareholder pause, is that if Barlow World doesn't want the business, then why should I want the business? You know, they, I mean, they tried to sell it, they couldn't get a buyer, so they're unbundling it. Um, if you're a Barlow World shareholder, do you just sort of sit tight and see, as um, uh, Rowan says, what happens to the price on the day of Zida's listing, or do you actually maybe, if 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 you don't uh, if you don't believe in that business and you think that the business is at a cyclical peak, you'd rather sell your Barlow World shares now and then just see what happens or see what transpires in the first couple of weeks of trading. Yeah, I mean, you can also, of course, keep your ballers and sell the Zida components if you don't like that part of the business. Sure. Um, so there are multiple options um, available. I mean, Barlow World share price did derate substantially when, due to the Russia issue and, and has recovered somewhat since then. And I mean, they have focused a lot on return metrics as well as um, returning back, gave back to shielders. So there'll always be a type of investor that will favor that. Um, <clears throat> I think the business is not in a bad situation. Obviously, Mongolia also has got some problems in the moment because of China lockdowns, et cetera. So there is some. Um, it's a lot of moving parts in Barlow World, but it's quite difficult to get a sense of what where the valuation needs to be. Hmm. So I think it's um, you do get some investors that perhaps love it at these levels and others simply hate it. And if you look at some of the short stock, shorted stocks in SA, you tend to find Barlow World there. Um, you hmm. know, so there's not a lot of investors that tend to love it. But um, on the LZ, if you look at the, it seems to be quite mature. If you look at the market shares we've really got, um, if you look at the revenue numbers over the last few years, doesn't look like there's a hell of a lot of potential growth. Investors also don't know the management team that's involved there. So that's going to take a couple of years for them to get a sense of, you know, who are they, what exactly are they planning to do, you know. Um, and also if you look at the, the ratings, I mean, something like a CMH, which has got no debt, you know, it's got paying high dividends, it's got a very low rating. Yeah. This is a business that's, you know, um, got high debt levels, perhaps going to even lose market share from this base. And you would, you would ask yourself, does it really deserve a premium rating? Yes or no. So yeah. there are some factors to consider here, certainly. And, uh, you know, people, investors will be going through this um, listing statement in detail. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where it does stabilize when it comes to the market. Yeah. I mean, as you, I mean, the CMH uh, um, comparison is very sound one because CMH is such a, it's, it's been such a well-run company and it's so unsung. It just, it doesn't, and, and, and for years, you know, you do well out of it, you get good dividends, but Really, the market pretty much ignores it. Um, d just maybe one last comment there. Do you think there's going to be any consolidation? So then you'll have CMH, you'll have Motus, and you'll have Zeta. Do you think anyone would be a buyer of of any of the three? Alex, you no, think I mean, no? The fact that it's coming to the market tells you there's no buyer. Yeah, okay. If there's, 
if there's a buyer, it might be CMH. Someone could buy out CMH in the future because they're much smaller and you've got management team that's close to retirement. They've got a big chunk in shares. But I can't see, and obviously Motus is focusing offshore, etc. So I don't think you're going to see corporate action see that specifically anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, Rowan, I mean, I mean, sorry, that probably was a very stupid question because if Barnabal didn't get a buyer, then why should there be a buyer? But, you know, you separate out the business. Maybe it's a, like it, it makes it a little bit more transparent. But would you share Alex's view there? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's uh, it's it's quite a unique business. It's uh, very capital intensive, uh, uh, big balance sheets. I mean, we saw where uh, uh, demand dropped, uh, yeah, due to an external shock, uh, COVID. Um, yeah, some businesses uh, struggled. They went uh, sort of basically went into liquidation. So I think it's considered risky, and uh, that's why it, it it requires its own cost of capital, which is, is it seems to be quite high given the low ratings. And uh, so they, they will remain standalone businesses. I think over time, they actually, if you add the, the yield, it can be a reasonable investment. I think it just mm. has to uh, attract the right kind of investor that's happy with a low rating, but a cyclicality, but uh, a dividend that compensates you accordingly. Yeah, okay. Then there's a question on SPA. Um, the media reports on SPA are quite concerning, uh, but then again, are they? It seems to be more of disgruntled franchise holders. So I suppose we've been all over this. Uh, Business Day uh, today had an interesting story. Um, Rowan, staying with you, um, does it give you pause? Would you, would you be a bit quite, quite nervous about buying SPA shares at this point? I think what's happening is the grocery retail uh, space is getting more dynamic. Um, and uh, so the comp competitive intensity is increasing. ShopRite have really raised the bar, um, both with their different formats and then obviously the convenience in terms of 6060. So there are technical, technological trends that are taking place, and these are sort of changing behaviors. Um, and SPA for uh, a variety of reasons, just partly because of the inflexibility of their business model, working with those franchisees in a, a wholesale distribution um, uh, type structure, they haven't been able to move quick enough. And uh, so I think there is real concern that they're not doing enough and are starting to lose market share. Um, and uh, so pick and pay is actually up its game as a result of ShopRite upping its game. And I just think they're getting left behind. And I would yeah. think that uh, the franchisees are possibly also uh, getting concerned as a result. So it's quite, they're quite a tight spot. Poland's also been a big challenge, much harder to turn around than they anticipated. And the SAP implementation on top of that is putting quite a lot of strain on the balance sheet. So it's a little bit of a, they're in a tough place at the moment. Yeah. Alex, I mean, yeah, disgruntled shareholders, uh, fr sorry, fr franchisees or not. I mean, if the business model is not going to uh, sally into the next 10 years, then presumably this is not one that you'd want to touch. I agree with Rowan there. I mean, um, they scored off quite a few own goals as well. I mean, these offshore deals, it's also really meant that they've taken the eye of South Africa, you know, which is still the crown jewel today. And that's really it just allowed its competitors to, you know, to innovate more than them. Um, I would have preferred if they focused more on SA, work on those inefficiencies and buy back shares, quite frankly, you know, and keep paying a good dividend. I think that would have been a good, solid uh, SA retail investment case. But with them going into Poland and, and Ireland, and Switzerland, it's just destroyed returns, it's geared up the balance sheet, it's taken management attention of the ball. And I think this is a very, very tough investment case to sell now. Yes, the valuation is sticking cheap, but in my view, I think it's cheap for a reason. Mm, okay. 
Right, we'll get into your stock picks this evening. Alex, uh, staying with you, what takes your fancy? Yeah, so I mean, there's still, in our view, quite a lot of opportunities in the, in the men and small cap space uh, in South Africa. So one that reported today is Invicta. Um, we still think Invicta is quite attractive from a valuation perspective. Um, if they can make an region about five rand earnings for the full year basis, that puts the business still at least in a P of six. Um, they can generate ROEs in our view relatively close to cost of capital, which means that you know at some stage they will be trading close to the book value. And we saw the book value numbers today, 41 bucks. So that's mm-hmm. still quite a big discount. I think it's about 0.6 discount to NAV. At the same time, I mean, they, they, they've done, they've cleaned up the balance sheet. They have refocused the business. Um, and we think they're actually quite reasonably well positioned for growth if you take a medium to longer term view. Obviously, they've invested quite a lot in inventory now at the moment. So at some stage, you should see some working capital release and that will assist likes of share buybacks and so forth, which we think will further support the share price. So we really like what the Stephen Joffe has done there and we still think yeah. it's a good entry point at these levels. Okay, yeah, well below 41 Rand at 28 Rand. Um, Rowan, how about you? Yeah, so we're going with uh, Fashini Group. Um, it uh, has done quite poorly uh, since its uh, results. I think uh, what you've seen is uh, some concern about the, the health of the consumer um, and just uh, their cash flows. I think uh, you've seen across a number of uh, retailers have had to uh, increase their stocks um, just in because of the supply ch- chain disruption. So Christmas trading is going to be very important, but I think it's got too cheap relative to its medium term prospects. They're not only exposed to the South African consumer, significant operations in Australia that continue to deliver and do incredibly well. Uh, and the UK, I think they've uh, right-sized that business and in a good market niche there. And they continue to innovate in their supply chain and uh, with apps. And uh, they are moving into an online retail space. Very strong management team. They do have a credit lever that they can pull. They haven't actually lost market share compared to Mr. Price, who have lost market share. So it's cum dividend, which we'll get on uh, early January. So I think if you're taking that all together, sort of kind of close to sub 10 PE, um, it does look quite attractive here. And we think a good entry point for the medium term. Okay. Great. Jane, thank you very much for joining us. Sorry about some of the technical challenges uh, this evening. Nice to chat to you both. Uh, Rowan Williams is from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Alex Dace is from Tomba Wealth. And I'll be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Have a good evening.